This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. This is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. So today, before we get into anything else, I think we need to just start off. A little disclaimer I know we have this some, episode, right? Exactly. Because I know we have some young listeners. I know some of my son's friends listen to this. Oh, not, not this one. Not this one. Yeah, this one is definitely not for like the faint hearted. This one is going to, this is our disclaimer, I guess. This is for more of the mature audiences, although... I don't know what would constitute a mature audience, but I, I mean, I would definitely not let anyone that's under the age of 16 listen to this. Just that's kind of our, our you know, our disclaimer, I guess. Well, in honor of that, it's the Halloween season. We were talking about, should we do some sort of Halloween episode? And sort of like werewolves, vampires, those types of monsters. We decided to look at the real, real life monsters, which a lot of these real life stories are even worse. So we're basically going to dive into a little bit with some of these infamous serial killers that that exist throughout throughout history. Um, really, the last 20th century when you had that term serial killers. So we're going to look at a couple of them. We're not they're not being glorified anyway. Um, this no is way. a topic that um, I've taught in class in my law and justice class and some of psychology classes. Different aspects like what what creates these people, these individuals that yeah. do the unthinkable. And uh, really what we'll talk about here is some of these people and they've done crime, they've committed crimes that you just can't fathom. And when you, when you really think about it, you hear of them, oh, they killed 50 people. Yeah, but you really go into the details of them killing 50 people. It's just, and, it's, and it's how. Crazy. It's and how, how yeah. and how they got away with it. That's always the mind boggling thing that I know my students, how they got away with it for as long as they were able to do. And a lot of this, ones that we're talking about today, that was, it was kind of pre-DNA. So it's pre-DNA testing. Um, and forensics, but also they were also smart what they did and they were able to blend in. There was something known as like the one of them ones we're going to talk about a couple of them. They had the, what's called the mask of normalcy that no one suspected them of being able to commit these types of crimes. And that's why they were able to do what they did for years, decades yep. in some cases. So before we get into our, you know, our first case here, uh, Tom, you want to talk a little bit about you know, the psychological aspect of what makes a serial killer. Well, there's, there's a bunch you know, of different, there's, there's no like one diagnosis, but the term serial killer doesn't come out to the sixties. So we're going to be talking about a couple of people here that are considered serial killers, but they don't have that term. And what makes a serial killer, a serial killer uh, legally, that term is basically if they've killed in at least three people, at three separate events. If it's all in one event, that's considered a spree killer. That's a little bit different. I know it's like morbid that I know this sort of stuff. I and I'm not into well, this. Teach it. Yeah, yeah, this is not something that I do in my spare time. I'm not. I do not yeah. read true crime. I don't write true crime like Peter does. Um, I do watch Law and Order SVU. I'm I'm pumped for November when Stabler comes back. That's, that, that's going to be okay. awesome. Peter has no idea what I'm talking about. No idea. Um, yeah. I mean, doing research for this <laughs> podcast was so new to me. I was disturbed. I've been disturbed for like the past week researching this stuff. Yeah, it, it, gets, oh. it, it gets that. And I think I probably over the years have just become, for lack of a better term, probably numb to a lot of it. Yeah. But um, it's it's still when you, there's always new cases, new individuals. So it has to be at least to get back, get more on track. We're already getting off track right away. But um, hey, it didn't take long. No, it's basically three separate events three separate people at least. And there has to be a cooling off period between. So that cooling off period can be anywhere from a couple of days to in some cases, a couple of years. But usually as time goes on, 
with these individuals that need to kill gets worse, gets more and more intense. And then that cooling off period becomes shorter and shorter and shorter. And that's what you, you're going to see with a lot of these individuals that we're going to discuss today. Okay. So um, I guess I will get us started. I want to start with someone that became, you know, popularized uh, with it by a book, a very famous book called The Devil in a White City by Eric Larson, who's an awesome author. And that is none other than H.H. Holmes. Um, so H.H. H. Holmes was born in 1861 and he died in 1896. All right. By hanging, so if you're right? Just he in, Yes, he was. Yep. Um, and if interesting things is that as opposed to many of the other ones that we're going to talk about, he was actually born into a really affluent family, mm-hmm. had a privileged childhood. It seemed like everything was kind of going really well for him. But by the end of his life, he wound up killing an estimated anywhere between 20 to as many as 200 victims. Mm-hmm. It has not necessarily been confirmed exactly. And they're never going to know. He's killed. And he's also credited with being America's first serial killer. Again, the term yeah. serial killer wasn't used yet, but going back, he would classify as such. And he's considered like America's first one. This was there probably ones before him. Yeah. And it's always been rumors that he was, that they were supposed to make, when I say that Hollywood, whatever, make a movie about him. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio is starring. Yeah. But they've been talking about that for years. Like, yeah. yeah, but he wants to make exactly Leonardo DiCaprio wants to make a movie about him. And there was that show. I never watched it. Um, American horror story. Mm-hmm. Never watched and, it. And one, one season, they were at he was they were at a hotel and he owned the hotel. It was all it was all about serial killers. Mm-hmm. Like Arlene Warhols is there, Ted Bundy was in this. They were all like and he basically owned the hotel. They all came and like stayed out at one point and the other. Which is did. perfect segue. Well, yeah, it's a perfect, perfect segue, segue because he had right? what he called the murder castle. Yeah. The murder castle, yeah. So just kind of going back again, privileged childhood. Um when he was younger, he expressed huge interest in medicine. Uh, it kind of reportedly led him to practice surgery on animals. That was like his big thing when he was like 10. Well, know? also he used to get teased when he was younger. I'm sure you saw this, yep. Pete, where kids would lock him in a closet with an actual skeleton. Yeah. And that freaked him out to the point, but eventually he just didn't become scared anymore. He became fascinated by it. And these are actual skeletons. This is the 1870s, 1880s. This is not yep. today where like when you go in your biology classroom or anatomy class, you have like that plastic rubber skeleton. These are actual yep. human remains skeletons. And that's actually one of the reasons why he did what he did. I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, Peter, but he was no, trying sure. to get money. So he would, in one way he would get money. So he would, after he would kill these people, he would basically, well, I don't, he would, he would sell their bones. And yes. we'll, talk, we'll talk about how and, he, you know, how he kinda, did that a little bit later, but yeah. Yeah, and he had access to it because he actually became a medical student yeah. at the University so of Michigan, it. right? And he would, and, and that's, that's so, yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, but that's so crazy. That's how, he stole, that's how he stole the corpses. That's so crazy, though. Like, people say, hey, I have this human skeleton. You want it? And they're like, yeah, I'll give you 80 bucks for it. Like, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that's what was going on back then. Right? That's obviously, yep. now that's going to raise suspicions. But in the 1880s, they're like, yeah, I'll buy it. So, yeah, in 1885, uh, he moves to Chicago, and when he's in Chicago, he start, gets a job at a pharmacy, yep. and he starts. Be- he becomes known as Dr. You know, Henry H. Holmes, and he eventually takes over the business from the original owner, who mysteriously disappears. Oh, he and, killed you know, him. Now, he killed him. Yeah, now, now people think that he killed him. But anyway, he builds this three-story building, uh, constructs this three-story building nearby, and it's basically a, an elaborate house of horrors, right? Mm-hmm. The upper floors, that's where he lives, his living quarters, many small rooms. And they had, he had torture rooms um, where he would torture and kill his victims. He had stair, staircases was, and doorways that went nowhere. Nowhere. You have trap doors, chutes, um, enabled him to move bodies down to the basement, like skipping floors. And he, what he would do is um, as people were building this, he would fire them mid-construction. 
Yep. And by so firing, they so they would never know. And then he would, he one he wouldn't have, he wouldn't pay them then. And then two, it was he, they would never know like the blueprints of the place. Yep. And then during the 1893 Columbian Exposition, um, he opened up his his home as a hotel for visitors, right? Yes, and uh, unfortunately, you know, and this isn't funny. I don't know why I'm chuckling because this is actually freaky. He would invite these guests over and they never survived. But because they were out of towners, a lot of, no them, one would, a lot of them were also from other countries. Yeah. Yeah. Like no one would know that they disappeared. Yeah. And he basically tortured them and, and killed them in this house. And he would actually like tease them when he was about to kill them and then let them run around the house to try to escape. And it was kind of like fun for him because they couldn't get out There's of this no way murder, they were house, get out, murder yeah. castle. Yeah. Um, and then he was also in a habit of uh, getting engaged to women. And then all his fiancés would like mysteriously disappear. After they signed all their money to him. That's usually what he would do. Yep. Yeah. At the end of the day, he was a, he was a con artist. Yeah. He was. Do- and that's he- kind of how he gets caught. Yes. He definitely enjoyed committing the murders. There's no doubt about that. But his main motive was not necessarily the murders. He was trying to get money. And then he was doing the murders to cover up. So these people wouldn't go and report. No one would go and report him. And like you were saying, like the rooms, they had one room. I remember reading that how it would, it would, he would pump it full of gas. Another room would, he actually had a vacuum in it that would suck all the oxygen out. And he would just Mm -hmm. watch the people suffocate there and then open up a chute that would go into the basement, which was the whole basement floor was covered with sulfuric acid. And it would just melt away everything other than the bones. You take the bones and go sell them. Yep. Uh, he actually went with well, this is hard uh, another right friend. There. Yeah, he, him and his friend Benjamin uh, Pitz, Pitzel, Pitzel, I Pitzel. think. Yeah, Pitzel. So he he kind of got this associate, Benjamin Pitzel, and they said, hey, you know what? Ben, we're going to fake your death, and we're going to try to get $10,000 from life insurance company. And uh, Benjamin Pitzel was like, all right, let's do this. Except he actually killed him. And his son. Um, he kills him. He, he kills yeah, him. he kills his kids. Yeah, his and kids then he too. convinces yeah, he convinces the wife that, young, young. you know, we faked it. Yeah, we faked your husband's death, but like, come with me and, you know, electric kids come with me and I'll bring you to, your, you know, to your husband. And then she lets him take the kids and he kills the kids he kills as well. The kids. And that's ultimately kind of how he starts becoming a suspect because of this murder, the last murder. And when he tries to get money out of this life insurance company and it, they investigate and ultimately wind, wind up catching him. Yeah, well, he, he said that he thought that... Uh... Petzl was going to kill him. So that's why he kills him. And that was like his, what he would tell the cops at first. And they're like, well, why did you kill the kids? And he's like, you got me there. You know? So that was pretty yeah. much, again, I'm chuckling, not because I find it funny. It's just, again. It's only, it's this that's what I think. I think it's like, this same thing laughing. for me. I feel like I have, yeah, that's the same thing for me. I'm like chuckling at these things because I'm, I just, it's so unbelievable. Some of the stuff it is estimated that total number of uh, people, homes killed range anywhere from 20 to 200. As I said before, he did admit to killing 27 people yes. and he was convicted in 1895 um, he tried to appeal his case, but it, he lost. And well, he then, eventually says, um, like the devil, like not not so much a devil made him do it, but he was always hearing voices, and he was yeah. just like a rotten soul from the beginning. Yeah, he's that was like one of his famous quotes. Yeah, you know, I was born with the devil in devil me. In, I could not me. help the fact that I was a murderer. No more than a poet can help the inspiration to sing. Yeah, that was his big thing. Home. He said, "I was born this way, and that's it. Like I was going to be a killer. There was nothing that was going to change that." Yeah. So let's uh, let's move over to. Uh, Ed, Ed Gein, right? Am mm-hmm. I saying that right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you guys actually all know this story. It, you he, just he, don't know. You just don't know that it's. He his inspired story. several stories. He inspired several, several stories. stories. Yes. I mean, the most famous one is Psycho. 
but also mm-hmm. Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs and Texas Chainsaw and Massacre. Texas Chainsaw, yeah, exactly. All from him. So Ed, Ed Gein, notorious killer and grave robber, right? Grew up in, you know, uh, he was born in 1906, Wisconsin. Winds up dying in 1984. But his story is kind of interesting because he is kind of grew up in a very repressive household, dominated mm-hmm. by his super controlling mother. mother so you guys yeah. might get guess where we're going with this. And he loved his mother. I mean, adored his mother completely. And then she passed away in 1945. And after she passed away, you know, he kind of missed his mother so much that he started. First of all, he locked her room up when she died and left it exactly, exactly as it was. Exactly the way it was. And it was never moved. Yep. And then, well, he never loves her moved. so much. I mean, let's just get to the point here. He actually goes. Yeah, and go he, for it. He goes and digs her up. Yep. He um, digs up his mother's corpse, brings it back to the house. He actually skins the corpse and makes a suit out of it. Now, he had a crazy upbringing. There's belief that he might have killed, was it his, not his brother, but his cousin when they were very young. There was a forest fire. Mm-hmm. And his cousin died in the forest fire. And a lot of family, and then even the cops kind of suspected that the kids were there watching the fire. And all of a sudden, the cousin was gone. They think that Ed pushed the kid into the fire. And that's mm-hmm. that's how he died. But um, yeah, again, his mother would beat him too. Very repressive. And he said, but he, but he also wanted to be a female. He believed that yeah. he, his mother used to dress him up in female clothing and everything like that. She wanted a daughter. But he also believed he wanted, but he couldn't afford the sex change operation. Plus, like you said, this is in you know the 1940s, 1950s. Yeah, this is the 40s. Yep. So he digs up his mother's corpse and makes basically makes a skin suit out of it. And he wears that around. And not just his mother. That's the thing. Yeah. Then he starts making different suits. Yes. Yeah. So he got himself a mannequin. Um, he put it in his basement. And then that's when he kind of gets on, goes out on his killing spree. And at first, he starts off just by robbing graves mm-hmm. uh, that of just recently deceased people. But then, you know, he wants a little bit of like something he was looking for in a, you know, in a woman. So he started killing. He's taking parts, skin, um, eyes, hair, full faces. And he started making these suits. It was more than one. He started he, well, making he makes suits. He also makes furniture. Lampshades. Yeah, lamp furniture. Shades, like lampshades. I mean, if you go to Google and you type in Ed Gein, and, and you just type in Ed Gein and hit images, you're going to see he looks like he's definitely mentally disturbed, but it's just going to pop up like the ashtrays he made, the belts. You, you yeah. name it, he was making them. Yeah. He was actually yeah. selling some of these for a while on like the roadside. I remember one of uh, well, I read somewhere one of his neighbors at one point he came out and asked her if she could try a sandwich he just made with some meat mm-hmm. and she ate and later she's like I am pretty sure, sure. now that I, I ate a human being which is crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, in, in, in this guy was I mean that's he was definitely disturbed. Now you're saying you know he, he they don't ever know how many people he totally killed. They know one woman came to the house, I think, to confront him on something. And I forgot yeah, and her, her brother was actually worked for the and he, he was killed a deputy her. sheriff. Yeah, and that, that's that's basically led to his that's arrest. That's how they found out. Yeah, yeah. But he's so only, this, he, yeah, this, they're not, they're not sure how many people he actually killed. I've heard as low as like two, maybe as high as six. They're not really mm-hmm. sure, and it could be more than that too. But they're not really sure because they couldn't really pin it on him. And when they try to ask him questions around, he's just so far gone mentally that they're just like, all right, we're not going to get anywhere with this guy. So yeah, so he. Um, Bernice Warden was reported missing. She worked in a hardware store in 1957. Um, and they're able to trace the blood kind of going out of the back of the store. Mm-hmm. Where her, It was her son that was the deputy sheriff, not brother. I'm sorry. Her son, the deputy sheriff, was suspicious 
and essentially um, kind of goes to, you know, Gein's house and confronts him. And when he manages to get inside, that's when he starts, you know, first of all, he finds his mother, right? Gutted body hanging from the ceiling upside down like an animal. Yeah, be careful. Actually, be careful Googling those Ed Gein pictures, but I think that one comes up. He hangs him up based like how people hang up deer. Yeah. And then, you know... Oh, you just looked it up? That's crazy. I don't want. I don't want to know. No, I'm not looking um, up. No, no. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, what happens here is once this guy gets in a house, that's when he starts looking, and he finds organs and jars, yeah, skulls. Like I said, use that soup balls, and again, they don't know exactly how many people he killed, but based on this, the collection he had in a the house, they're pretty sure that he killed many. Yeah. And they put him in a, you know, obviously a mental institution, and that's where he stayed, and he died from cancer in 1984. And he, after he, yeah, they put him in a mental institution, he dies in the house. What's interesting is the house. They really didn't want it to become a, um, when I say they, the people in the neighborhood after he gets arrested, mm-hmm. they didn't want it to become a shrine to these people who are into serial killers. That's another podcast we can have right there. I said, because people are always. 17 they, minutes in. They, well, yeah, 17 minutes in the next podcast topic. <laughs> because these individuals, they come obsessed with them. They get obsessed with these serial killers. There's trading cards. There's all these other things like fan clubs. There's just, trading cards for serial killers. Yeah, a lot. It, it, they're not around as much now because like most shops refuse to carry them. But they were big yeah, in like I the. I wouldn't say big. I know they were around like the '90s. You could find them nowadays. You can still get them if you order them. Um, you can order them from online. That's and stuff. insane. But they still have them, like the statistics. Some of them actually have like drawings on them from the serial killers themselves. But anyway, getting back to the Ed Gein house, it actually it burns down, and the people in the town burned it down, basically. But they didn't admit to it, and they said, "Oh no, um, the story is that hell took it back." With mm-hmm. all the horrible things that went there, so that'd be like an interesting movie just on itself. They don't even need to like do all that other stuff. Yeah, but I mean, like you said, the movie—it's clear that Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lamps, as well as you know, obviously Hitchcock's um, yeah, Psycho. I mean, it's obvious. So, uh, the next one I was going to jump into is the Zodiac Killer. Do you want to? Do you have anybody else in between? No, we can just go through everyone. Like again, um, whichever ones you want to talk about. Okay, we, we let's, can, uh, we can let's go do to Zodiac his, Killer. Zodiac. All right, never been yeah, caught. Did, never been caught. Never been caught. But like mysteriously disappears. So I mean, hopefully he's not listening to this podcast. Um, well, it's, it's Ted Cruz, right? Yeah, that's, they did say It's not Ted Cruz, okay? It is not Ted Cruz. Yeah, Ted Cruz was not even... That's what my students always say, too. And they're like, oh, it's Ted Cruz. I'm like, if you do the project... And they said him. it was Ted, Kuchin, Ted uh, Kaczynski, yeah. Yeah. the Unabomber. Then people believe it was Charles Manson. Uh, but let's get through what we know. First of all, if you are young and you are in a, you know you're in a relationship you're a young couple this is you kind of didn't want to be a young couple when the zodiac killer was around in the 60s well, really, all this time the 60s and 70s you had him you had son of sam you had a bunch of these guys that were targeting young couples hanging out in cars and that's basically yeah, what i mean it was, the zodiac yeah. killer basically killed young couples or at least attempted to kill because some some instances that we're going to talk about they actually survived, they survived yeah. or cab cab drivers so you like don't want to be a cab driver in san francisco or you don't want to be in a relationship when you're like 20. So, um, you you want to kind of get into this guy or well, what do we know about Zodiac Killer? Well, what we know about him is he gives himself the name Zodiac, right? So yeah. he's given himself his name Zodiac. And again, there are podcasts out there just on, we're just kind of giving a little bit of information here on each little one. Yeah. 
But um, what makes Zodiac a little more unique is that over the couple. Oh, but couple before you go on, Cali- it's California between sixty eight sixty nine. That's where most of the Sacramento, murders. I think, part of it. That's yep. where some of them are found. Yep. And what he does so is 70, 74. Yeah, sorry. Go he's sending these um, letters to the press talking about mm-hmm. it. He's also when he commits these murders, he's he wears a hangman's cloak, hangman's mask, mm-hmm. and on it is a circle with a with a plus sign across through it. it looks like a target and that's how he signs yeah. all of his letters with that target and a lot of the letters that he writes he's saying things that only that the police know this is the killer because he's saying things only the killer would know that's what that's what it he was so yeah. specific so he'll be like you know what go to this place you're gonna find a young couple they're murdered and this is how i murdered them well, actually in, and in, this in the cars he carved he gave. symbol in the car he carved yep. the actual symbols in the car, and he also would call the police department. And they have this on tape. He would call them from a payphone and be like, "I I just killed two people." And he says where it was, and he's like, "And those people last week here, he, wherever they were, you know, in Sacramento, I killed them too." And he hangs hangs up the phone, so they yep. know who he, who exactly what he you know. Yeah, I'm saying you know again, but there there he is. He they, they have his voice. <laughs> he he's admitting to these crimes, and he's saying he's daring them to basically catch him. Yeah, and there's a lot of interesting movies. Most recently, the one with like Eric Bana and uh, not Eric Bana. That was um, actually called the Zodiac Killer. Zodiac, yeah. Uh, Mark Ruffalo, yeah. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. are in it, and they play like these like journalists that are going after him and stuff like that. And he, they get incredibly paranoid because they start thinking about yeah. who could the Zodiac be. Is he sending? And letters? he like taunts them. I mean, he, he literally taunts, taunts them in his letters, yeah. like, "Hi, you guys can't catch me." So he actually puts in. I said actually again. Dang it! I gotta stop saying actually. So he puts and he accompanies the letters with like a. A cipher. Yeah. Each letter has like not, a, to one this day. Part. Some have not. The third one has not been broken. Yes, but it says because it was you know, it was a three part cipher, and he said if you guys could figure this out, you know like you, you could figure out who I am. And this is kind of a kudos to uh, some teachers. So the you know the first cipher was cracked by a high school teacher Donald mm-hmm. Harden and his wife. Um, they solved the first cipher, and they realized that it said, "I like killing people because it is so much fun." It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all. So kudos to some high school teachers out there. Yeah, there you go. But obviously that doesn't stop him. He keeps on going. And as he's doing this, there's so many other things they're able to translate is or figure out is he threatened to shoot the tires out of a school bus and then shoot the kids off. Pick up all the kids. Shoot, pick the kids off. They came off. Like luckily that never happened. That never took place. You don't know why. Um, one reason what they believe happened is he actually, there was another case, uh, instance where he taunts them because he said, you could have arrested me, but you didn't because it was, he killed the, he killed a young girl and he was actually there. The cops got there like really fast. So he quickly mm-hmm. like changed whatever. Um, but they didn't know it was a Zodiac killing. And there was, again, this is the seventies of uh, so some racial profiling. They believe the murder was done by an African-American man. And he said he walked right by a cop. He says he actually made eye contact with a cop and just walked away. And if they would have described him and said, but they, because they thought they were looking for an African-American man, not a Caucasian, he was able to just walk away. And he like mocks yeah. them for that. He's like, you could have arrested me right there. So he said like the next death is on you. And they also more or less start getting more of a visual of what this guy might look like because in a couple instances, you know, one of the couples actually survives, right? Mm-hmm. One of the men, uh, boys, I guess. In this particular one case, it was in July 5th, 1969. Um, you know, Darlene and her boyfriend, Mike, 19 and I think 22, sitting in a parked car. When he came up, 
with a flashlight in their eyes and then fires multiple shots and the the girl died but he the guy actually survived so he was able to somewhat help out with a sketch so if you google no one knows who the Zodiac Killer is, but there is a pretty infamous sketch of what sketch you room, might yeah. potentially have looked at. And there was another woman, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but she, um, her tire went out. And what what they think is a Zodiac probably loosened the tire and followed her. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw this story, Pete. Nope. And this is something that they believe he did prior. He probably loosened the tire, drove behind her and flashes her. She pulls over. This is again, the seventies people pull over. Now, if someone's flashing you, you're not pulling over because they're flashing you. He says, Oh, your tire looks messed up. You know, um, just be, be careful with it. She's like, Oh, thank you. And he probably loosened up even more than she kept on driving. Then it rolls off. He's like, Oh, good thing. I'm still here. I know a tire shop down the road. I'll drive you there. So it's like a pouring rain. She's in there holding her baby in her arms. She has like a young son in her arms. He's one years old, one year old. And they're driving and she, as they're driving and driving, he's no, she's noticing that like, he's not pulling up. He's not pulling, pulling off the highway. They've actually passed a couple of, couple of tire places. And then she's like, you know, we just passed one. He, he yells at her to just shut up and be quiet and tell that baby to stop crying. So then as he slows down at one point, because there's traffic, she just jumps out of the car and rolls down a ravine and hides underneath one of these like um, overpasses. And he's actually out of the car looking for her and for like 10, 20 minutes. And she actually says she doesn't know how she was able to keep her son from crying. He just knew that, I guess the kid knew that, you know, if he makes a noise, that's it for both of them. And then he just, the guy just gets off and leaves. She reports it and she gives a description and the description matches the visual that yeah the other people and they're like oh my god that was a zodiac and after the detectives tell her like you need to tell us everything you know about this individual because we believe you were just in the car with the zodiac killer so i think, they, I think they show that in the stops. movie yeah he mysteriously stops in in 1974 and it's never heard from again seven confirmed victims zodiac killer right two survived it's probably more seven. definitely more but so what like do we have any idea who it might have been? Well, there's a, there's a lot of theories. Well, I think the one that most people prescribe to is Arthur Lee Allen. I'm sure you saw mm-hmm. that name. I did see that. Yeah, that's the one that mo- a lot of people believe it was him. He winds up dying of a heart attack. The major issue, the major issue with that that I found, and again, you're probably never going to know exactly who this individual was, was that they do have his DNA. Now it could have been degraded a little bit because he used to sign those letters. He would lick the envelope so they're able to test mm-hmm. the dna and that d- his dna does not match arthur lee allen's dna okay so they don't know that there was a this woman yeah. who said that her uncle was a zodiac killer and that she was in the back seat when he committed a lot of the crimes but that was later debunked and she also said that her uncle killed jfk so that's a whole other thing. oh well yeah yeah uh, but yeah the, but i know arthur lee allen is what a lot of investigators believe that he's probably he was probably a zodiac because at the time when he was arrested is when it stopped. That makes sense. And he also, he, there was also times when he hinted that he was a Zodiac killer to people. And supposedly he said on his deathbed to one of his friends that he was a Zodiac killer. But again, they've never been able to confirm it. So it's one of those cases that unfortunately is probably never going to be confirmed, but it's, it's, you know, this is like a real life supervillain. He's dressing up in a hangman's costume, going around shooting people. Oh, he, he stabbed or shot them. Yeah. Well, since we're staying in the 70s now, we went from 60s to 70s, I think we should uh, you know, go to Ted Bundy. Ted and again, Bundy. just and just another warning for those of us that have been listening to us up to this point. Um, this might get a little more graphic. 
Yeah, he's definitely a yeah. He's a he's a. Grapper. I mean, he was a serial rapist. He, the guy was a serial killer. He's rapist. a monster. He, there's no there's yeah. no way around that. And he was a monster from. He's gonna Young say age. from from like a teenage, but if you actually look at it, really go into his his life his life, life. It, it was from a very very young age. Yeah, he is known to have confirmed killed at least thirty six women in the nineteen seventies. Uh, eventually executed electric chair in uh, nineteen eighty nine. So when he when they killed him with the electric chair, people outside actually set off fireworks. They were so yeah. excited that he was, you know, this usually this people like protesting, don't kill this guy. This that wasn't happening when they decided to, yeah, um, kill Bundy, electrocute him. And a belief is like you said, I said before, so he admitted to killing the 36. Oh, he but they yeah. actually asked him how many did you kill? He said, I lost track after 100. That, that's what he said, yeah, and, and that's they, what it said. They actually believe it was more than 100. Oh, easily, easily over, easily over 100. There's actually a great show that I did watch once or twice. I, I don't really watch these shows, but occasionally. If it's when I'm teaching, I'll put on. It's called In Defense Of. Mm-hmm. And they had a def- uh, Bundy's first defense attorney. And this was a guy that defended Bundy when he did like some burglary and stuff. Not, not That's the crazy thing. They not, had not, this guy not, not the caught and arrested. They had this guy caught and arrested so many times. times. Well, he also escaped jail twice, which we're going to Yeah, like twice. Yeah, but yeah. even before that, they yeah. were like uh, – uh, Because right, he, right, he, he doesn't fit the mold. Anyway, this, this attorney um, – in it, he talks about it, and he's once Bundy got charged with murder. He's like, "Ted, I'm I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm not I'm not helping you out anymore." He's like, "Why?" But you and me are so alike. And he said, when Bundy said you and me are so alike, he's like, "I don't nothing to do with it." His girlfriend at the time was actually murdered, and his girlfriend matches the profile. Dark Who's hair, girlfriend? The, Ted the attorney, Bundy? the attorney's girlfriend, the attorney's girlfriend was murdered, and a lot of people her case is still unsolved. Now the guy's in his sixties now. This was obviously yeah. a long time ago, and he the girl matches the profile. Short, um, long blonde, long black hair parted down the middle matches the, the Bundy profile perfectly, and um, a lot of people say Bundy, was, if you know, she was in, he was in that area, he he could be a suspect. And he says, I can't even think about that because I got this guy out of jail on multiple occasions for smaller crimes, but while he was killing people, they didn't know he was killing people yet. He's like, if I if my let my mind go down that path. That I could have been somehow responsible for, you know, my girlfriend getting killed. I can't, I can't think that way. So yeah, let's get into Ted a little bit with his childhood, I guess. His father, his real father, was not in the picture. Was not in the right? picture, and there's some debate on who his actual biological father actually was. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies, big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.
I'm sure they you believe saw it that. was I, one thing I saw. They believe it was made potentially like an Air Force veteran. Could could um, have, could have been him, but they, yeah, uh, it was listed unknown on his birth certificate. What they also found out eventually is there's some people that believe that Bundy's grandfather basically Mine. molested his his daughter, which was Bundy's mother. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of debate with that. Uh, this is they haven't been able to. They're not doing DNA testing or anything, but they, there's a lot of debate with that. And they've actually asked the mother that, and she never like confirmed or denied it, which is like a weird thing. Like Which you, makes the whole case make a little bit more sense when, because he was an legitimate child, uh, his yeah. mother, then no one knew her father when the mother got pregnant. She was um, a teenage he was, mother. He yeah. Was, yeah. Um, he was adopted and raised by his grandparents. And he was told his entire life yeah. that his mother, who was a teenager when she had him, was actually his sister. Yeah. So he this finds that out when he's up. a teenager. And it, it, yeah, he, he, he says that's what messes with him. But yep. He grows that. up thinking that his mother is his sister. Yeah. Nuts. And his grandfather was abusive, and he had to live with that. And he, his mother, from all intensive purposes, though, was always very caring for him. Mm-hmm. Did, did try to raise him as best as she could. But again, she's a single mother. She does wind up getting married. And uh, the husband that she marries, his name is Bundy. He adopts Bundy. They have four children together. Bundy, the father Bundy, he tries to, to you know take Ted on all like camping trips and he tries to yeah. make him a part of the family, but Ted just doesn't... He sees the guy as a loser, basically. He's like, right, I'm yeah. glad you're, you make my mother happy. You take care of us. But he's like, you know, you, you don't, you're not going anywhere in life. You don't make a lot of money. You're not my real dad. It was that sort of thing. And what yeah. Bundy used to do when he was a teenager um, is he would drink a lot of alcohol and then he would go around the neighborhood going in two things. He was looking through people's garbage to try to find pictures of uh, naked women mm-hmm. and he was also looking through and spying on people changing anything he could do changing um go taking a shower he was basically like like, like a peeping tom in this yep. same in this aspect and he says that's what because he couldn't make friends again this is what bundy's saying then you interview people who know bundy or who grew up with bundy they're like listen he wasn't the most popular kid he had friends they described him yeah. as a medium-sized fish in a small pond. He had friends. He had social circles. But in Bundy's telling these psychiatrists, a lot of this is him trying to get out of the death penalty, right? Yeah. He, he's, he's telling these- Pleading um, insanity. Yeah. It's that. He also, he does everything he can to try to get out of the death penalty. He, that's one reason why he doesn't admit to all the murders. He's trying to use it. Like, if I just admit to this murder down the line, they'll postpone it for another year or so. He tries to actually catch, help the FBI. He thinks he's going to help the FBI catch another- serial killer, the Green River killer at the time. He offers their help and they're like, no, you're not helping us. Yeah. We don't need your help with that. We'll, we'll catch this guy. And they do eventually catch him. But yeah, but Bundy was just messed up at, at, at that age. Yeah. So let's, yeah. So let's get kind of like look at transition. So he goes to college, uh, graduates from University of Washington with a degree in psychology in Pretty 1972. Smart guy, yeah. yeah. Then he uh, is accepted to law school in Utah. He never actually finishes law school, but he does go to law school, which becomes uh, kind of a, a key thing later on mm-hmm. when he escapes uh, the first time 1970s uh, it also they say that it is in when he's in college where he falls in love with this like wealthy pretty young woman from california yeah, yeah. and she, you know yeah. she breaks up with him and that's and it. That, all that, his that, victims that, resemble yeah. this girl they match her yeah and his he might have killed before that there's some evidence that he's kind of hinted that he's he killed his first victim at 14 yeah. But he before he goes on his complete breakdown is when she breaks up with him. And I'm not gonna we're not gonna go with the names and everything like that. But yeah, um, no, no. She breaks up with him because she says you lack ambition and you lack drive and you're immature. And that's what triggers him. To the point where later on 
he's he actually wins her back and they start dating again he actually starts introducing her to people as he's dating this other woman at the time too and he starts introducing her the original girl as his fiance to people and they plan on getting married and then one day he just disappears he called what well, what's that term he used ghosts her right yeah and he's a he somehow she's eventually able to get in contact with him months later he picks up the phone and she's like you know why did you just leave why did you just no longer speak to me and he says i don't know what you're talking about and just hangs up the phone and he later says all he wanted to do was prove that he could get her to marry him. That's it. And then okay. she even talks about that. She's wrote many books about it. And she says he was just vengeful. Like his entire plan was to get back together with me just so he could break up with me and get that, that payback. But yeah, all of his victims match her description. Young, yeah. pretty, pretty girl. Spree. Yeah. Yeah, it started in 1974. That's when women that look like that sort of disappear. Disappearing in college campuses, yeah. In Oregon, yeah. One a month would just, on an average, one a month would disappear. And he always lured them to his car pretending to be injured yeah. and like asking for help. That was like his big thing. Yeah, and he and, would and park then, the car. It was a Volkswagen Beetle. And he would park it like underneath a streetlight. Like he would, right there. He had no problem doing that because yeah. they, Bundy was very charming. He'd be wearing like turtlenecks. He'd have crutches. And he would walk by these women and just drop his books so they could be like, oh. You need help? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, can you just, my car's right there. Can you just throw them in my car? And they say, yeah, he opens up the trunk. He pulls out a crowbar from his cast. And next thing they know, they're waking up. He removed the locks from inside the car door, like the handles. And they yeah. were handcuffed there. Yeah. And then the same thing happened when he went to Utah to, um, to attend law school. Women began disappearing there as well. And eventually he actually gets pulled over by police and they search his vehicle and they find like, you know, crowbar, face mask, rope, handcuffs, and they kind of feel like this possession of this is kind of a little odd. So they try to link him with more crimes, but um, they can't until 1975, he is arrested for kidnapping. Uh, one of few women that actually escaped him, you know, she was, mm -hmm. um, so he was convinced, uh, convicted rather, and received one to 15 year jail sentence for it. Um, after this woman, you know, runs away and confesses. But then he, you know, he escapes prison twice. First time in 1977, he's indicted for murder charges for the death of this young Colorado woman. And he decides to act as his own lawyer in the case. Go. So when they bring him to the courthouse, he asks if he could go to the courthouse library to kind of look up some, you know, some law books. And they're like, sure. And when he's there, he jumps out a window, makes his first escape. They capture him eight years later. I mean, eight, sorry, eight days later. And then in December of 1977 bundy escapes again this time he like climbs out of a hole he made in the ceiling of his cell he lost 30 pounds yeah, he, he, he did he ate very little just, he was doing push-ups yeah just to fit through that small opening and he steals Not, a i think a custodian's overalls and just walks out yep and no one and and they, you know they don't even know he's they, gone for a while yeah for like 15 hours they yeah. said he, they had no idea so he had an awesome head start and then he goes crazy he, when he gets out. yeah and after that he goes to florida and that's, that's when he goes crazy. Yeah, yeah. 1978. He goes to Florida. What do you I, got for me, Tom? Well, he goes to the what, FSU, the campus. Yep. Yep. And he goes to the sorority, sorority, house. sorority house. And he breaks in. And in the span of, I believe, 15 minutes, he attacked four women, kills two of them. And when he attacks them, he's brutally attacking them. He picks up, and I'm not going to get super deep, but he picks up like a, lo a log, I believe. And yep. smashes one girl in the face. She actually survives, but she winds up uh, with severe inner ear damage so she can't yeah. she can't hear and mess with her equilibrium so she can't she i didn't believe she was a dancer she could no longer dance um he's attacks many other ones with um, metal poles and metal rods um he what one thing he does to the one girl one victim 
is he starts to actually bite them and he bites yeah, them so that's his undoing that's his undoing yeah. is he bites the woman so hard that it it he implants um his teeth in her yeah. basically like a dental impression and they use that later on in the trial to prove that it was him uh, but he does escape that that area he runs off and then he breaks into two other apartments um yeah. and they said the only re- well he he leaves FSU because someone pulls into a a parking space and the lights shine into the apartment that freaks him out. So he, he mm-hmm. runs off and then there's actually some girls are in another room and they hear what was going on. And then they run over afterwards and after Bundy left and they see what happened to their um, friend, his girlfriend, he has his girlfriend, Elizabeth, yes. like Cl- Clover. And she was basically going to the police on numerous occasions. Like, I think my boyfriend may be a serial killer. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, like, no, no. he was a charming law student. People didn't think he had that mask of normalcy. They did not think that he could be a killer. But what was amazing, she was thinking is because I think they show that in that. I never watched it, but it was a Zac Efron movie when Efron played Ted Bundy. Did you see that mm-hmm. on Netflix? No, I, I've never saw it. No. Yeah. And um, in it, they're like, they show like a sketch on TV and it looks like Ted Bundy and his friends and he jokes it off. And this is actually true. Bundy talks about this. They're like, oh, Ted, that's got, that guy looks like you. And they actually said he answers to the name of Ted. That's what they're looking for. They broadcast this on the news and it matches Bundy. Wow. And his friends are like, man, that looks like you. And his name is Ted. That's such. And he's like, wow, what a coincidence, right? And then. Yeah. Crazy. That's how they catch him. They, yeah. So they do catch him ultimately, like you said, because of they are able to tie it, him to the teeth marks. And then he, and... he'll, and he, he, Maintains his innocence for a long time, even after he's yeah. sentenced to death. It's when he knows he's not getting, when he's charged with death row and all his appeals are done. That's when he confess. He says, right, "I did commit all these murders," and he's trying to blame it on. Um, if you watch the interviews, he tries to blame it on pornography. These interviews are done like yeah. twenty four hours before he's set to be executed, and he's trying to yeah. get a reprieve from the governor. He's hoping the governor will, you know. Yeah. regret him leniency it's not going to happen that's what he's hoping for and he's giving all these interviews in a hope that it's gonna this seem like a nice guy basically if no he's not he's soulless yeah. the guy's a sociopath yeah so i think you know for time purposes so let's let's do two more and i think you know which one we're probably going to wind up doing okay um there you want to go with gacy or Dahmer first you got you pick all right let's go with gacy gacy john wayne gacy yep killer clown. also serial killer rapist murder at least 33 young males this time around interesting thing about gacy too totally messed up individual he he hated gacy Dahmer, and bundy get captured i want to say around similar they're all active at the same time they get captured around the same time they really this is like boom of in the mid 80s when um the mid 70s early 80s when people are really talking about this a lot Bundy's more early um Dahmer's more early 90s but Gacy, they actually ask him, they're like, you know, what do you think about Bundy, Gacy, all these other ones? And he says, I'm not like them. I don't, don't compare me to them. I'm not like them. They're, 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 they're monsters. They're psychopaths. That's not me. So he didn't like being called a serial killer. He didn't like being compared to these other individuals. I mean, he's also known as the killer clown. He mm-hmm. lured a lot of the young kids you know, uh, dressed as a clown. And well, yeah, he, he never killed anybody. He never killed anybody dressed as a clown. Yeah. That, that's like kind of a misconception. Yeah. But yeah. He, he just kind of lured them in. He was a clown. Well, he would be clown at the birthday parties. And what he would do is he wanted older boys. And now he didn't go after like young, young kids. Yeah. But he would go after their older brothers and stuff. And he would lure them saying, because he, had, he owned construction companies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he also owned a bunch of KFCs. 
at the time. Wasn't that uh, his last meal? I think his last meal. That was his last meal, yeah, too. Was KFC. KFC, strawberry ice cream, and his last words were, kiss my ass. Yep. Um, Hey, it's in the Bible. You could say ass. Yes. Um, So they said that he would, when he brought kids in, you know, these teenage boys to his house, he would often handcuff them and they would go along with it because he was so trustworthy. And he's like, oh, it's a trick. I'm going to show you how to get out of him. And... You know, the trick of showing him how to get out of handcuffs never actually took Well, he place. would have the key or he would have trick cuffs that he would show them to get out of. And he'd be like, all right, you try it. Yeah. And he would handcuff them a lot of times. And he would handcuff them and then come behind. He would go behind them. And then he would basically – he shows this in one of these videos, this simple knot, like a garrote, that he would basically put around their necks and just pull. And he's like, it didn't matter how big or strong they were because he would have the leverage. And that's how he was able to um, strangle them. And he actually later on says that each one of these victims that tried, that he killed, tried to kill him. And he was just acting in self-defense. Yeah. And he takes all of them and he buries them underneath his front porch. Yes. Basically throughout, like his property was just full of buried bodies. So again, uh, kind of a messed up childhood, right? A very abusive childhood. Uh, He struggled with homosexuality. Um, and you know, it kind of obviously at the time he says he, he was, was, born he, in was 1940s. he says he was molested also. Yes, by and neighbor. He was born 1940s and was frowned upon to be gay, and so he kind of suggests that that was one of the reasons. It was why. that he was also born with a heart murmur that prevented him from playing sports. Yeah, and so I believe his father then kind of called him like a sissy boy, things like that, because you can't play sports. What type of man are you? And that kind of really. Messed with his psyche, also. Yeah, um, as he's growing up, you know, he was very much a guy around town, very uh, cult in the sense of cultural gatherings, active in political organizations, civic groups. Uh, married and divorced twice, had two biological children plus two stepdaughters. I believe. His first wife leaves him after he gets convicted of molesting a young boy in a fast food restaurant bathroom. Yeah, and he gets sentenced to jail for that. And his, so his first wife leaves him after that. And then he kind of just reinvents himself after that. I seem again, that mask of normalcy to appeal more normal, but really he's, his tendencies are, are even more, you know, disgusting in the background. Yeah. He got 10 year prison sentence for that. And then he gets released. See, that was in 1968, but then he gets released on parole in summer of 1970, you know, uh, but then is arrested again the following year for another teen accuses him of sexual assault. Um, the charges are dropped when the boy doesn't appear at the trial. Middle of 1970s, two more young males are accused Gacy of rape. Um, he was questioned by the police again for disappearances of others. He actually referred to this as uh, this time period as like his cruising years when he committed the most of his murders in the middle of 1970s. And then um, how does he get caught? He gets caught again when one of the individuals disappears, this young man, young boy. Mm-hmm. He goes over his house. Uh, he says, come over, we'll talk about, I, you can work for my construction company. And the mother then calls the police and says, listen, he, the last person that was with him was Gacy. So go there. And they, they go to the house and he's denying it, denying it. And then I forgot exactly what takes place, but they, they decide – that he's he's just seems that something's up. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, there's like they do like they, they actually wind up doing like a longer period of surveillance and investigation and yeah, start and, and watching his house. They, they're watching his house, what's yeah. going on, and that's when they're seeing that he's going to the basement, and then they're able to get a warrant to check the basement, well, the the property, 
And that's when they find all these bodies buried under the front porch. And what Gacy's defense is at first is he says, listen, all I'm guilty of is running a cemetery without a license. That's what he says. He said, you can't, you can't prove that I killed any of these kids, any of these boys that you can just prove that I'm running a cemetery without a license. That's all I should be convicted of. Nuts. Yeah. Sick individual. Um, More recently, people are still, police are still trying to use DNA evidence to identify the unidentified bodies. Yeah, they, they found more there. Well, you see that a lot. There's a there's a bunch of these other serial killers that you can look up. Well, don't look them up, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Where recently they found a um, storage locker and they unlocked it and they found a bunch of photographs of all these missing children and it was it belonged to uh, one of these serial killers. It wasn't John Wayne Gacy, but it was one of these serial killers' um, storage locker. It was in his name and it was all these photos of just missing kids. Like, oh, and, you know, and they're like, oh, well, this is what happened to him. Yeah. So you have to like find the parents and stuff like that and kind of trace, trace it back. But Gacy becomes infamous also in prison because he starts painting pictures and selling them. Yes. Of and clowns says, and whatnot. Of clowns and just, and they're, they're sick, you know, depraved looking images. And he's selling them in some cases for like ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a pop. And that's why they pass these laws and you can't profit from your um, crimes. That like you, you, He oh. can't do that anymore. He he was really upset about that. Yeah. We can't. Have, why do you want to? That's a such. That just doesn't make sense to me. So this, the, I mean, people the, buy Hitler paintings. You know, to this day, yeah. they they're, they're yeah. so, you know right now they're mostly purchased by museums that try to like buy them and hide them. Um, but you know that's kind of like a if dark. Want, well, yeah. Again, people want this artwork. They want this talk about people. Yeah. See that picture of that clown, that like yeah. murder clown. Yeah. That John Wayne Gacy, the serial killer. He painted that. I was able to buy that. So that's it's more of like a status symbol, uh, I guess. If you have twenty grand, you can waste on something like that. Yeah, but you're just you're just helping a, a dirt bag, basically. So the house, his house. The people said I used to walk by his house, and it had like that weird stench to it. Yeah, there'd um, always be maggots coming up through the floors. Yeah, and they thought it was like mold on rodents. But yeah, he always be like, "Oh, I have to go. I have to know. go. I, a raccoon must have died under there." I think that's what it was. There was a smell yeah. coming from it too, and it's like, "Oh, a, a raccoon." We must have died under there, and that's what he would tell people. But really, it was the the, the corpses. Yeah, yeah. By 1978, you know, once he was arrested, his house was dismantled, and a new house was built. Or not? Yeah, they do that. They they're not going to leave the actual houses there. Yeah. Let's do our last one. Um, well, we're Jeffrey talking Dahmer. about we're talking about smells, so that'll right. definitely lead us into yeah Jeffrey Dahmer. So he's another one of this. From that time Trifecto, period, I guess, yeah, yeah that um, it's just really messed up. I remember South Park had an episode when the three of them come back alive: Dahmer, Gacy, and Bundy. This is South Park. South Park made an episode. Yeah, they were like the of three stooges or something like that. Episode, yeah, yeah. If, I don't remember the whole episode, but I remember seeing them in that. But Dahmer, again, if you're going to murdered seventeen males between 1978 and 1991, and then eventually was killed in 1994 by a fellow prison inmate. But fellow, yeah, well, he was. He knew if you watched an interview with him, he's doing an interview for like date with Dateline after he's captured, after he's going on, and shortly afterwards that, and he says, "I'm not going to be alive much longer." He knows he's not going to be alive much longer because the inmates telling him, "We're going to kill you when we get a chance." Yeah. They didn't like him one because of the cannibalism and aspect. Um, I know we didn't get some of that macabre stuff too, like with some of the stuff that Bundy used to do. I'm sure you saw that. Yeah, um, yeah. We forgot to get into that stuff, but Dahmer was a cannibal. That's one of his. He was known as the Milwaukee Cannibal. And what he would do in prison, they said, is this is coming from guards and from uh, other prisoners that knew him at the time. He would take like his mashed potatoes or whatever the food was, and he would fat make it. He would like mold it into 
looking like human organs before he would eat it. And they say he didn't do that because he was like craving human organs. He did that really to like play into that whole cannibal image in prison. And he he knew it kind of made the other prisoners back away from him, but also dislike him. Yeah, feel uncomfortable. And he he, he, he didn't want to be bothered. So I said, if I'm going to make them feel uncomfortable, that's fine. That's what I want. So that's what he did. Because Dahmer, again, he grew up in a pretty – his parents were there, but they weren't there. You know what I'm I'm saying, Pete? I'm sure you saw that. Well, like an average, yeah. Well, they got divorced later on when he was in high school and the family for a while it was for a while it was a normal family um and he was a normal kid it all changed when he after he got a hernia he had a hernia surgery and he said that just really changed him he became fascinated with like he became more meek and quiet he became fascinated with um roadkill he would go around picking up roadkill and then bring it to his like clubhouse and like rip it apart and he would steal like the feral pigs and the frogs from the from the high school biology lab and he would like bring yeah. them home and dissect them and he would keep the skulls and everything like that. And he was just a really weird individual. And he started to become an alcoholic during the time of his parents' divorce. And what happened with the parents' divorce is really the mother took the younger brother and he, the, everyone really cared about the younger brother. Well, how's the younger brother doing? Make sure he's okay. No one really cared about Jeff. He actually lived by himself in the family home for a while. Yeah. The father yeah. left. And the mother left and he had, well, you have to finish high school. So that's when he would just drink all the time. Yeah. And he started becoming, and again, he was homosexual and he started having these urges and these thoughts. And this is in the um, early seven, mid seventies. It just wasn't something that people felt comfortable with. And he had none of that support there. But he also had like an odd, like, you know, when they say when he was like a 14 year old kid, he used to watch, he used to go to park and watch this guy run all the run, time. Yeah. And he would fantasize and about murder. He would him. fantasize actually about knocking the guy out yeah. and then raping him. Yeah. Which kind of led to this idea of him wanting to ultimately have intercourse with dead bodies. Well, what it was with him too is Dahmer, remember his family left. They just left him by himself. Yeah. So he was always afraid of people leaving. And what also happens is for a while, he's old, he lives with his grandparents, his grandmother in particular. And what he says is one day walking home from school, he finds a mannequin. Now, this is going to be disturbing. So he finds yeah. a mannequin. And this mannequin, he takes out of the trash. And this mannequin becomes his partner. Like a lover, yeah. Yeah. And then his grandmother like walks in and like, see, like, what are you doing? You're just, you're just, he yells at him, hits him, you know, you're disgusting. And she throws it out. And then that's all he says. That's what he's always really trying to recapture. Later on, with a lot of these young men that he that he kidnaps, is he's trying to he doesn't want them to leave, and he's trying different ways to keep the body alive but destroy the mind. He wants to yeah, recreate so they, that mannequin, they, so they wouldn't. Yeah, they wouldn't. Yeah, oppose he him. wants to recreate that mannequin, and the things that he does to try to do that are very gross, disturbing, disturbing. So you know, uh, his just kind of quickly summarize right. He most of his people that he sought out were African American. Um, he would go into gay bars, malls, bus stops, so on. So he would offer them money like, to take pictures of them or come back yep, as a part of for beer. Yeah. Yep. And then um, ultimately, he would strangle them to death. He would then engage in sexual acts with the corpses, and then he was he would dismember them yeah. and dispose of them. Right. Well, the crazy thing with him, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Pete. Like no, what no. you said before, he would drill holes in their heads too. Um, yes, and pour st- like chemicals, ammonia, in there. chemicals, boiling water. And try to destroy the brain but keep the body life again so they couldn't leave. And there's this one, there was this one case where this young boy, he's Filipino, actually escapes. 
I'm sure you saw this, yep. right? Yep. He escapes. Yep. And this is, shows that stigma in the 1980s. Remember, 1980s Milwaukee. He breaks yep. out. He runs off and runs to a neighbor's house, banging the door. The kid is, I believe, like 16 years old. He's naked. Inco- incoherent. He's incoherent. He's bleeding from his temple. And he's handcuffed. Yeah, he had drilled it in his ear. Yeah, he already drilled drilled it. And he's in handcuffs. And the woman calls the cops. She's like, this kid is here. You got to come help him. And then he's able to put enough words together that, listen, this guy over there, this guy, Jeffrey Dahmer, he's in that apartment. He's trying to kill me. He's trying to kill me. And the cops go and Dahmer comes out all calm. And he says, no, listen, this is my boyfriend. He's on some, he's on like drugs. He's had too much. Yeah, we're doing some stuff. We're doing some crazy stuff. We got into a fight. I apologize. And the cops were like, oh man, we do not want to deal with two homosexuals. Remember, this is 1980s Milwaukee. And they give the kid back to Dahmer. Yeah. And Dahmer says. The kid was 14. He was, yeah, yeah. He was actually 14 years old. Yeah. That's that's mind boggling. (laughs) Okay. Like that this kid, and this was, he winds up killing, his killing spree lasts for 14 years after this too. Yeah. 14 years. It's, he could have been stopped then. And those cops wind up getting fired from the force because they didn't investigate this. And the woman keeps on calling for years later. She keeps on calling the police saying, what happened to that boy? Tell me what happened to that boy. Because she feels guilty. She's like, how are you letting him just go back? And Dahmer will later say in interviews, oh, yeah, as soon as the cops pulled away, I killed him. He's like, I couldn't. Yeah. I thought that I thought that was it. And actually, inside that inside his apartment, if the cops went into the other room, they would have found apartment, yeah. a body of the uh, of another victim. Yeah, all they had to do was search there. inside. All they had to do was search yeah, inside. All they had to and, go to that. And yeah. apparently, the apartment smelled so bad from all these corpses that were in there that neighbors told the, told the landlord a bunch of times. The landlord would be like, "Dahmer, you got what's going on?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, I bought a fish tank and the fish died, and I just I got to clean down. I'm sorry." Crazy. And again, they just kind of go with it. This Dahmer. He was very odd, and people just thought he was so meek that there's no way this guy was a killer. Yeah, there's no, and he was—he didn't bother anybody. He didn't talk to anybody. He worked at a chocolate factory for crying out loud. Um, with Jay, believe he probably uh, sometimes other brought limbs and body parts to the chocolate factory. So you were eating chocolate yeah. bunnies in the eighties. Um, he also um went to when he was in the military in the eighties. Yeah. There was multiple cases of that people reported that he raped them at night. He would yeah. tie them up and rape them. And, you know, the soldiers would report that to the higher ups and the higher ups like, no, 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 that didn't happen. Relax. Yeah. They said they didn't um, want the scrutiny of it. They didn't want to deal with the thing. And again, this is in the mid eighties. So early seventies, yeah. this happens now. Hopefully it's not happening now, but something like this happens now. Someone goes to someone handcuffed, bleeding from their temple saying, this guy's trying to kill me. They're at least they're going to investigate it at some point. Yeah. So, Something similar happens, which actually later gets on. him in the end. 14 years later, yeah. Yeah, 14 years later, Milwaukee police officers, right, uh, were led to Dam- uh, Dahmer, rather, where they picked up this guy named um, Tracy Edwards, right, 32-year-old African-American man. He was wandering the streets with handcuffs, so similar to what happened years prior, um, but he was an adult. And he said that this weird dude just drugged him and, and restrained him, and he managed to run away from him. Um, so the cops are like, all right, let's go investigate. And they, you know, that leads them to Dahmer's apartment. And that's where they basically find, well, the, you know, yeah, the two cops go Polaroids. In. Well, they yeah. go in and they find the Polaroids laying on the side of like well, bodies. One, yeah. The one cop talks to Dahmer in the kitchen. Right. Yep. And the other cop goes in the room. And as soon as he walks into the bedroom, he sees what? 12 skulls stacked on top of each other. Yeah. The Polaroids all over the bed of like bodies and numerous um, dismemberment. And I think he screams for his partner to get them. And then that's when Dahmer yeah. and the, yep. And the police officer struggling. The other, they come out and they arrest him right there. Yeah. Yep. 
And that's when they look into his refrigerator and find body parts and heads, severed yeah. heads. And again, and he admits to eating them. And they're like, well, why did you eat them? He's like, well, now they're part of me. They're never going to leave me. They're part of me now. Yeah. And what's crazy about that too is Bundy, in one of the interviews, he tells a story where he's staying at his dad's house. This is later on. He's He's been killing people for years, right? Mm-hmm. And his dad finds a metal box in Bundy's room and he tries to open it and then Bundy comes running down into the workshop saying, no, don't open that box. Don't open that box. And his dad's like, well, why? And his dad, he, he, he tells his dad that he has pornography in it. He doesn't, you know, it's embarrassing. I'll throw it out, whatever. Actually, yeah. there's a severed human head in it. Crazy. And he's telling this story to his dad as his dad's sitting next to him. And then the interviewer is like, um, this is Stone Phillips is like, well, did you know that? He's like, no. Like this... He's like, it's just one of these, he didn't think his son was capable of these sorts of things. Wow. So he's eventually, he, he confesses to all the, to all of the crimes. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And he is. They had him, they had him, they find body parts in your freezer. There's no really legal defense there. I think he does try for insanity, but they they throw it out instantly. Yep. Yeah, he does. And then, and then uh, you're right. They basically throw it out and he's killed on November 28th, uh, 1994. Apparently like, he like wouldn't die though. Um, yeah, he was still alive. They beat him. They, his cellmate yeah. takes a lock, right? Puts in a, in a sock yeah. and beats him with it. But then the other inmates kind of pile on and they take a broom handle like over his throat yeah. to eventually kill him. So yeah, they, they, left him al- they basically left him alone. The guards kind of, ret- by the time the guards returned, he was so brutally beaten that um, he didn't live past that. He lived, like, and they an all, everyone's just kind of like surrounded this too. So by the time the guards got through, there was nothing they could do. And I'm, I'm yeah. not sure how much the guards are trying to get through either, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah. So I mean, I think I mean again, there's so many more we could have covered. I thought we just as like some a survey. That, yeah, survey of something again, like anything that you see with the ha- Halloween and nightmares and stuff. There, a lot of them are based off of these individuals, in a lot of ways. But I feel that a lot of these are. I don't want to say scarier, but more shocking than anything that you can. Well, they're real. You they're know, real. They, these the actually happen. And a lot of these ones like Saw is inspired by actual events Crazy. too. With, a, with these different serial killers. And, yeah, and we started with 1800s and we kind of went through, you know, to 1940s, 1960s, so, 70s, yeah, we do 80s, a couple from 90s. these different, different decades. Yeah. I actually remember Dahmer being captured. I remember seeing it on like the news or something like that. I mean, we were like, what, maybe eight or nine? You know, seeing yeah. on the news, but it wasn't, you know, you had to just watch the news because that's what it was on sometimes. You're kind of hearing about it briefly. And then obviously, as years go on, you learn more about it. Yeah. As Crazy. an adult and stuff. But just that there are individuals out there now. And this interesting statistic from the FBI that at any given time, they believe there's anywhere from 40 is like the low number to, I believe, over, what was it? 40 to, I believe, over maybe 200 active serial killers in the country. Well, that makes me feel really safe. Like right now, like right now. And there's all these statistics you can look at. Um, most of them are actually in the Pacific Northwest. That's where they say most of them actually are alive. Just because of the vast area, they're able to get away with their crimes. Even in this area now with like DNA and stuff like that, it's it still happens. So I'm sorry, you're going to have nightmares now, Pete? I apologize. I was going to say, dude, why did you do that? <laughs> That's what I always tell my students. They're always looking at me like, Oh, I'm like, yeah, no, it's, it's, you're going to be okay. All right. Well, that most definitely brings us to the end of our podcast. And um, (laughs) I hope everyone enjoyed this podcast. Please tune in again next week.
Take it easy. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.